Welcome to the In The Clouds podcast. In The Clouds is a marketing cloud podcast powered by Lev, the most influential marketing-focused Salesforce consultancy in the world. Lev is customer experience obsessed, and podcast hosts Bobby Tishy and Cole Fisher have partnered with some of the world's most well-known brands to help them master meaningful one-on-one connections with their customers. In this podcast, they'll combine strategy and deep technical expertise to share best practices, how-tos, and real-life use cases and solutions for the world's top brands using Salesforce products today. podcast. This is Bobby Tishy and Cole Fisher coming to you live from nature. <laughs> so we are uh, outside right now. You might hear some birds and I don't know, maybe some bees. Or... A couple deer hunters. Yeah. Yeah. Do you hear any loud uh, noises and then you don't hear us talk anymore, then maybe get concerned. Yeah. But other than that, uh, we're excited to be with you guys. And we have uh, a really exciting episode today because what we're talking about actually came from one of you, the listeners. Uh, around the topic of uh, ha- having exact target historically, and then obviously now it being rebranded as Salesforce Marketing Cloud, what are the main differences? Are there differences? And really at a platform level, not necessarily at a, at a feature level. And so for those of you who don't know, uh, Salesforce Marketing Cloud used to be uh, what was exact target, which was an email service provider as well as an omnichannel marketing platform in its later days, which was acquired by Salesforce a few years back. And since then, it's been completely rebranded as Salesforce Marketing Cloud. And a lot of the customers that we work with have been on the platform for a long time. So they even still call it Exact Target. And as they start to migrate to either an Enterprise 2.0 instance, or they start to leverage some of the new technology like Journey Builder, a lot of them have been asking questions around what's the best practice for these things, what's the difference between a subscriber and a contact, and that sort of thing. So we wanted to walk through um, the, the email that we got um, with some really pointed questions around how they can go about this um, and using the newer features and the newer functionality of the tool. So uh, thank you again uh, to the uh, listener who wrote this in. Really appreciate it. Keep it coming at in the clouds at levdigital.com. And we'll start off with the first question and kind of prefacing this with in the legacy world of utilizing exact target, uh, we mainly imported users through Excel spreadsheets and utilized an API with their Oracle database. But as we moved into the enterprise um, and the, what they mean by enterprise is sales, more Salesforce marketing cloud, we will be migrating all subscriber data from their EDW. And their first question is what's the best practice for merging legacy data and enterprise subscriber data yeah and so uh, the in the relational data model that is salesforce marketing cloud or previously et what matters the most is where how does that boil up into your unique identifier what's that uh that main uuid and so if that stays the same from old instance to from old data to new then it's relatively easy uh a lot of the times though that's that's going to change so if you're um you know, integrating a, a data warehouse that uses a different UUID than what you have as, as you know, your customer key or, or whatever in marketing cloud, then you're going to have to go through some steps of, of 
generally what we call subscriber key migrations and they're kind of two fold differences of, of what that can look like. There can be an official one, which is essentially um, kind of a, a pause and rewrite of the actual, um, you know, migrating what that UUID is. Another one is sort of this pseudo imitation that kind of serves the same purpose, but you know, there's some nuances to um, timeline level of effort that make this a little easier, but at the same time, you don't get to um, hold on to the historical data within Marketing Cloud. You just have to back that up in your um, enterprise data warehouse or somewhere else. Uh, and so there's some, some nuances around that as well. Um, and then you also have to make considerations around what that's going to look like in terms of your contact counts and what that looks like in terms of utilization um, in, the, in uh, Salesforce Marketing Cloud as that's part of the, the cost model, the cost structure um, you know, for, for Exact Target or for Salesforce Marketing Cloud. Um, the, the next question was just around best practices for general maintenance. And I think that once you start going into or kind of you've got your set of uh, or your data model set or your data, data strategy set, you're great. Um, but really the first question that we typically ask or we think of is, do you have a data management strategy? Um, if, if so, that's great. Does it include marketing cloud? And it, it absolutely should because marketing cloud is going to be a data integration source. Um, likely to Marketing Cloud, then also back from Marketing Cloud and some of that tracking metadata that you might pull back. Um, but if you don't have a data management strategy, there, there are a few things that you can do. Um, one is we, we generally recommend to build out a new data model or strategy um, as you're going through this process. And even if it's just for Marketing Cloud, so that way you're starting to operationalize all of the sources of data that are going into Marketing Cloud and then all of the sources um, of data that Marketing Cloud is pushing data to. So that could uh, include a middleware in between there or it could be a direct API integration or it could be through an ETL process through the SFTP. But whatever those are and whatever the fields are within that data model and the different tables, building a data dictionary. And you can certainly start simple, right? It doesn't have to be any kind of productized service or anything like that for that data dictionary. Um, some of our customers just start out with a Google Sheet um, and different tabs for the different tables and that sort of thing, um, which if you don't have anything, that, that might be a good start. And then as you're going through that and you've, you've gone through it the first time, you've outlined your new data model, um, you really wanna review that typically every three to six months. As, as a marketer, um, for sure, and certainly on the IT side, you're always going to want to bring in additional new data sources or maybe you're launching new channels on the marketing side. So you want to make sure that you're continuously updating that so you have that artifact as you continue on. Um, and each, each uh, element of that, uh, you'll want to make sure you're, you're making a conscious effort to say, is this data or is this source of data going to be leveraged in marketing cloud practically? And really what we mean by that is, if a marketer um, or an operations team is not gonna use this data for personalization, segmentation, dynamic content, or any kind of reporting, then we probably don't need it in the platform. We can have it stay in its source system or in a different platform without bringing it in and to make sure that we've got the most pristine data model that we possibly can for the people actually using the platform. And another, another question that came up was, what metrics are companies using around individual subscriber behaviors and how are they grouping them to improve campaign performance? I'm kind of, I'm glad this one landed on my plate. I like this question. Um, and I think to, to your point about throttling that data that comes in uh, and, and not really trying to 
overdo it or bring in data that you're not using, at least not in you know a, a particular phase or anything like that. I, the same sort of advice applies in this case. So you know when you have a data dictionary of established data and you know what you're pulling in, like what are we doing with what we have in the system now? And so I've seen a lot of times. Uh, we want to talk about the hypotheticals and the in strategy and and I'm all for planning for the in strategy But I think a lot of times we end up with like analysis paralysis on there's so much we can do and so much We can think about um, what I what I would say is main piece of advice is just start with something anything Like just just get something on the board and just know that like you can baby steps into this And that's the best way to go because what you think and plan for as your personas and as your behavior modeling and things like that like that's going to change and what you learn and versus what you theoretically hold as opinion right now about your customers, subscribers, et cetera, that's going to change with this, you know, persona handling. And I think one thing that you always mention to customers too, is that a lot of them suffer, people suffer from analysis paralysis, that instead of just starting simple and getting something off the ground and iterating from there, they try to complicate it, whether it's personas or journeys or whatever that might be. To your point, it's really just start small and then grow into whatever you want to grow into. Yeah. And so I, we, we had a, there was one customer in particular where like they just started with quartiles of, uh, you know, four different layers of how engaged the, the subscribers were. And so they kind of just went off of like what, what was inherently right at their fingertips, just the general click and open engagement data, just things that were really upfront. And then as they evolve, they're like, all right, well, let's just branch this out into deciles and, and we can actually layer in um, value, like, like as we start getting revenue data in. So they didn't need to plan for when they were going to get revenue data or like wait until they had that. They already had this and were running with it. Mm -hmm. And then once they had revenue, they started layering that. And then they started doing like splitting out personas and types. And, and like there are some that are um, like, you know, we, we used to, or, or they, they as a retailer used to say, well, if they, you know, if they are this gender, then we want to serve products that match that gender. So if they're, you know, women, we want to show women's shirts or, or, you know, women's tops and things like that. Whereas what they're finding was there's a lot more, uh, like seasonal gift givers. And so like, how, how is our, our, you know, uh, segmentation here? How this is this persona breaking out differently than what we thought it would when, um, now we have to plan for who are just those annual buyers and what does, you know, LTV actually look like when we, you know, zoom back and say, okay, well, we actually take the full year into account. This person actually spends a lot around, you know, the holiday season, but if it's not the holiday season, they are basically dead to us. How do we make sure that we're segmenting and not dropping? So there's a lot of ways to do it. I would just say the first things first, get something down and just don't spend your time, you know, planning too far ahead and trying to, to complicate it because, I feel like that's the sticking point that most, uh, most of us, we just don't get off the ground with. Um, so the last question here was from what I can tell, subscriber is legacy, whereas contact is enterprise slash journey builder. So does contact offer unique advantages that subscriber doesn't? It's a really good question. And I think that it's something that Salesforce has not done a great job of addressing of what the kind of main differences are there. The way that we think about it is a contact as the holistic data record. So for example, a lot of companies will have a whole list of contacts and that is inclusive of anyone who's subscribed to any kind of uh, marketing channel. It could be any kind of customer um, who may or may not be subscribed to those different channels, or it could be prospects who they're actively prospecting to on a B2B type of element. So whether or not I'm subscribed to email or mobile or anything like that, I'm still a contact. 
a subscriber can be thought of as someone who's actually opted into communications from one or more channels. So a contact can be a subscriber and a subscriber can be a contact. So I know it's a little bit confusing, but in terms of Salesforce Marketing Cloud, before the acquisition of Exact Target, everyone was a subscriber because we were, were really just focused on what was our, our targeted audience or our reachable audience. Um, now with Marketing Cloud, we're bringing a lot more data in because we're able to do a lot more with the feature set that Marketing Cloud provides, like Advertising Studio. We're able to build out lookalike audiences based on certain contacts or segments that we might have. So one of the biggest elements as part of that is contacts, and more specifically Contact Builder, is uh, essentially the same data model that Marketing Cloud has always had and we're utilizing data extensions as data tables to relate them to, together, but we need to set up Contact Builder to make sure that we can utilize some of the newer features that Marketing Cloud provides, specifically Journey Builder. So Journey Builder leverages the relational data model that we build in Contact Builder to be able to use all that drag and drop segmentation that we can as part of the entry sources in Journey Builder. So one thing to keep in mind there is even though we're bringing in more data, Salesforce charges based on those contact amounts. So uh, your full contact list may or may not be everybody that you want to be. It really is based on your marketing strategy and your data strategy. So if you do decide to bring all of those in, just be conscious of that when you're signing up with Salesforce or as you go to time to a renewal so you can make sure to get the to right size the amount of volume. Um, and then you can plan ahead for any kind of spikes in volume that you're foreseeing. And Salesforce will certainly help you with that. Um, but then also something that a lot of our customers have employed too is contact retention remediation strategies. And this is something that can be part of your data management strategy or separate from it, more on your marketing cloud strategy where they'll say, you know what, if someone hasn't engaged with us on any of our channels and they haven't bought anything, in a year, we're gonna remove them from Marketing Cloud. It helps people limit their contact amount, but it also helps their marketers in only having contacts or subscribers that are actually interested in that particular product. So hopefully that's a little bit helpful in kind of bridging the gap between subscribers and contacts, you know, exact target, what it was, versus how things are, are in Salesforce Marketing Cloud. At a platform level, at a data model level, things haven't changed too much, um, but hopefully that kind of provides some clarity there. Um, most important question as we move to completely, completely unrelated, <laughs> what is the worst haircut you've ever had? Well, I would, you could argue that it was just my general haircut growing up. I don't have to worry about that. I'm, I'm shorn now. Uh, but, but I, my You're general haircut, now? I'm completely shaved now. Uh, Did but you my say shorn? Shorn. <laughs> I didn't know it was a word. Zoom. Um, <laughs> My my general haircut growing up was for the longest time. I, I, I we didn't refer to it as it was a bowl cut. It was just a straight up bowl cut for a long time. You know, oh like, that's what I had. Just like just like froed out, and uh, it was kind of but it was kind of like the straight across like you know Dutch cut that people were like, hey, did you get like a free bowl of soup with the haircut? Like, <laughs> they, I tell me you got something out of this deal. Like, <laughs> but but uh, the the very worst I was I was probably six or seven, and uh, you know I. I my uh, brother and I went down on our bikes to uh, the barber shop, and we're like, "Hey, let's get some, you know, our, our spike." Because that was the cool thing was wearing your hair in a spike, or just basically just getting a buzz cut. Um, and I went, you know, went for that, and and I, they basically just, I guess, didn't shave anything off. And so I got sent home, and I was like, "Well, they didn't do anything to your hair. Like they didn't cut anything." And uh, so she sent us back, 
And I was like, no, no, no. Like they, they like <laughs> tell him like you're, you're six or seven years old. Like, and your brother, like, you know, tell him that uh, like you want an actual haircut, you, like take some something off. And so I guess out of spite, Barber Bob, I'll never forget. Barber Bob out of just spite, just basically shaved me completely. <laughs> he oh, just, he's like, you want your Okay. You got it. <laughs> like, like, take, take your frustrations out on a six year old. So like I, I, I came home and I thought my mom was going to be mad at me for some reason. So I put my, I put a hat on and I kind of like stood under the pine tree and she's like, let me see it. And I was like, she, like, she describes to this day, she'd just see like a little skinny little spindly leg sticking out from the pine tree. And I was too afraid to come out. So she, <laughs> I, I came out and she, she, uh, my mom's like the tiniest, sweetest lady ever, but uh, not a mean bone her body. She went down there and reamed old Barbara Bob. It's like, you just, you scalped my son to prove a point. Oh <laughs> like, my he, gosh. You're, you're awful. <laughs> oh. So what yeah. age did you have the bowl cut? Uh, like at, <laughs> basically up till six ish. And then, um, I tried to, it was, it was mostly up till six. Okay. It was a, was a hardcore bowl cut. See, I think, because uh, my thought was I, I had the bowl cut from, I think around like six to nine, where it was literally like you, someone put a bowl on your head. Clink, 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 yes. clink, clink. <laughs> I mean, that's really what it looked like. But I also went through a phase where I put a ton of gel in my hair. <laughs> so like middle school and high school, it was the LA looks ultra firm hole, <laughs> like the 10. And so, like, if people touched it, it wouldn't move. It was <laughs> just helmet head. Yes, yes. Although one of my favorite things, you know, and um, as I've gotten older and started to lose my hair, I'll never forget this. We were in uh, Las Vegas, my wife and I, and we were taking a picture in the mirror. You know, like cool couples do. You know, like with the uh, well, naturally, yeah, yeah, trying to take a selfie in the mirror. And uh, I had uh, like my head was down and kind of looking at her. And she could see the top, like the top, like crown of my head. And uh, so she's looking at the picture and she's like, you're losing your hair. And ever since then, I admittedly use Rogaine every single day. And I swear it works. <laughs> really? It's been fantastic. Yeah. Huh. So Rogaine, if you need, uh, if you're looking to sponsor that a podcast. That would have been good advice like 10 years ago for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll never forget that. She's like, are you? are you losing your hair? And then as soon as I started using it, she started taking pictures of my hair. So we could like just become the it. subject of an experience. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, thanks a lot for listening guys. Uh, we'll be back soon with another pod, but hopefully this was helpful and we'll chat with you soon.